Real variety for your workday. listening to the fat doctor podcast if you're looking for something a little bit different to all the noise that's being churned out to the airways nowadays then you're in the right place we're going to be talking all about the modern day religion that is healthism and how it relates to weight stigma so all you need to do is sit back relax and pay attention it's episode 12 welcome to the fat doctor podcast for the last couple of weeks we've been busy trying to cure fatness um it's been a lot of fun we're going to continue in that vein today with my fantastic guest Cara McBee um we've known each other for a little while now we've even managed to hang out in the flesh which is kind of exciting because for a couple of years that was not possible thanks to covid today we're tackling law number 10 in the laws of healthism, bearing in mind there are 12 laws in total. I can't even remember when I wrote these. It was a long time ago, that's for sure. But there are 12 laws in total and we are, you know, seriously heading towards the finish line now, folks. This one's going to be fun because um, I know exactly how Cara and I both feel about this. Law number 10 is everyone can lose weight if they try hard enough. <laughs> which is kind of true really I think for most of us anyway we can lose weight if we try hard enough it's keeping it off that's a completely different matter today we're going to be talking about whether that's true and more importantly whether it matters at all so Cara is essentially a TikTok sensation you may know them as Nanny McBee um, when they first started out on TikTok, they went by that name and now they go by the illustrious Cara instead. Um, they created the Overweight Bitches Content Creators Helpline, the OBCC. And they're a fantastic comedian. They get us laughing at the trolls and um, they're also very insightful when it comes to just living life as a fat person, which is essentially what we're going to talk about today. So obviously, first things first, you all know what I'm going to say next. I'm talking to people about health. We've still not come to a decent enough definition of health yet, but we're going to keep trying. There's there's three more episodes to go, including this one. So Cara, give it your best shot. What is health? Well, my opinion on what it means has changed over the years massively, but currently it's just a general, having a general sense of well-being, mental health. I think is absolute priority over everything else. Um because if you're not if you're not feeling well as a person, if that makes sense, nothing else is gonna slot into place. Um so yeah, I mean I don't really like the word well being because it kind of screams of wellness culture, but that I can't think of a, a good alternative. But yeah, just having having a good strong sense of self, I think is is something that is important in terms of health, knowing who you are, feeling secure in a lot of things, which is not easy to come by, especially for marginalised people. It encompasses so much. And for me, it has so little to do with the physical body and what the physical body is capable of, because I think a lot of people equate health with capability and productivity, and I don't anymore. That's not, you know, that's not how I feel about it. 
Yeah, that's a good question though. I've never really thought about trying to redefine it. I know what I don't think health is anymore, but I've never really focused on what it means for me, I guess, other than I do focus on my mental health. But yeah, good question. Capability and productivity, I think are both excellent words that haven't actually come up yet. And I think are really important because the more I'm studying health, trying to understand the origins of health and, and certainly in the context or through the lens of modern medicine, the more I realise that the people who sort of invented modern medicine or healthcare were actually focused on two very important things. One is free labour. Um, you know, and at one point in time it was slavery and that's how, you know, especially in America, one achieved free labour and, and once slavery was abolished, then it was the prison industrial complex, but it was also eugenics. It was also medicine that was used to basically try and rid the world of anyone that wasn't productive, that wasn't capable. And we saw it in America. We saw it in, in Europe as well, especially in the, you know, mid 20th century around the time of the second world war, when there was a lot going on with, you know, enforced euthanasia. Um, there was the sterilization acts, both in America and in Europe, where people were enforcing sterilization on those that were considered Know, unproductive and not capable, anyone with a learning disability or a mental health problem or even a physical disability. So you see productivity and capability are at the very core, at the very origin story of modern medicine and modern healthcare. And it would be really foolish to think that somehow that's all disappeared now. You know, we've moved on and we're much more enlightened and civilised. We're not. We're no more enlightened and civilised than we've ever been. In fact, we're probably less civilised. And so these foundations, you know, that are essentially, it's capitalism, isn't it? It's ableism, it's racism. Um, they're still very much at the core of health and, and health care. So I'm really glad Cara chose those two words. Those have definitely got me thinking. So let's move on from health to weight loss, because according to every fitness expert or health and well-being expert I meet, the two are very much related. So what about weight loss? Is that is that something that we really should be able to achieve, all of us? Is you know, is it is it true that anyone can lose weight if they try hard enough? Let's ask Kara, shall we? Kara, have you, you know, ever tried to lose weight before? <laughs> uh. Have I ever tried to lose weight? Well, it's only been, I just turned 36 and it's only been the past nine years where I haven't been actively trying to lose weight. Okay, fine. You're not counting, you know, the baby years. But the first time I remember being told I was fat, I was about four. And I was told uh, there was no point in me joining ballet classes because you're too fat, so you'll never be a ballerina. So again, that goes back to like this whole obsession with productivity and capability it's like if you're not going to be able to make money from something what's the point in even trying especially if you're not you know if you don't fit a certain ideal that certain things look for so I was too fat to be a successful ballerina therefore there was no point in even starting so I'm going off on a tangent a bit here but yeah so I I, I had it instilled in me from a very young age that fat was something to be avoided at all costs if you found yourself 
because I, I wasn't actually a fat child, despite being told I was too fat to do ballet. That was just my fat phobic mother. But um, it was fat was to be avoided at all costs. And also, if you find yourself tipping into the realm of fatness, you've got to rein it back in. You've got to you've got to lose weight. And there was also this kind of um, feeling of like you've got to if you kind of get yourself to like the absolute skinniest you can be, then you're you can give yourself a bit of leeway if that makes sense. So it was always like reduce, 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 reduce until you can be the physically smallest it's possible to be. So yeah, I've, I've been trying to lose weight, weight that I didn't even have to lose for most of my life. Um, and I've tried various different things. I mean, I don't think there's a diet out there that I haven't tried. I've, I've had periods where I've got insanely hard at the gym I've worn my body out. I've I've really really messed up with my body's natural ability to look after me, if that makes sense. Because I just lost trust in it. Completely lost trust in my own body and it, and and how it functions. And I've tried and it's never worked and what's what's actually happened is I don't I don't like saying this too much because I don't think it's helpful to be like this is why I'm fat. It doesn't matter why people are fat people are fat and they should be accepted no matter what but because I wasn't a fat child and then I gained weight as I got older I do think that's in my personal case it's because of dieting and weight cycling and restricted endless restriction and then my body bouncing back and and going on binges um there's an emotional side to that as well but that's separate in this case but yeah that's what's led me to be fat the fear of fatness is what has led me to be fat and I've tried and yeah and as you you talk about in your work weight cycling and and losing weight on a diet and then adding more weight on after the diet that's been my story so the weight loss attempts have been what have made me fat and kept me fat and kept me getting fatter and it when I stopped dieting that's when funnily enough my weight just started to steady out and I'm still fat. I'm not losing weight anymore. And that's fine. I'm very comfortable with that. But the attempts to lose weight, not only did they not work in the long run, they were incredibly painful and grueling and just not something we should be putting our bodies through. You know, I spent so long trying to convince people that I was a good fatty, that I was trying really hard to either lose weight or maintain weight loss. Constantly telling people, you know, I've, I've tried every diet. You know, I, I'm really, I'm really trying to, to monitor my calories. I don't want that biscuit. That's, I know you're able to eat it, but I can't possibly eat it because I'm fat and you're thin. So please, you eat those biscuits and be happy, but I'll just stick to my cup of tea or I'll just stick to my glass of water. And, you know, that, that's how I operated for, more than years, we're talking decades. And it it only recently can occurred to me that actually dieting is bloody miserable. It's awful. It, why should anyone be asked to put themselves through that? You know, why is it that we as a society have got it into our heads that dieting is a good thing for anyone to do? Nobody likes it. Nobody enjoys it. The people who really do get a kick out of it probably have some kind of disordered eating or possibly an eating disorder because, you know, starving oneself is not a pleasant experience physically, psychologically, emotionally, socially. So 
to really enjoy that, you know, there's probably something else going on underneath. And if that's the case, as Kara says, why are we putting our bodies through such a grueling process? Like, why? Why? Even if we all agree that fatness is something that needs curing, even if we all agree that I don't believe that at all, not for one second, but even if I did, if if going on a diet is the only solution, then my friend, I'm out. I'm tapping out because it's not worth it to me. Even if being fat is bad for me, which again, I still don't agree with that. But even if it was, I'm not going to diet because it's miserable. And I'd rather die young and you know, younger and, um, and not be miserable. Like that's just the end of it. So <laughs> once you start to understand that this idea that dieting is a good thing, it's just nonsense. It's a lie that we're all being told, you know, cause that's what the trolls are doing. That's what all those horrible people on Instagram and TikTok and social media and not just on social media, but actually in real life, you know, people at work, people at home, maybe it's even your parents, it's your family, it's your friends, it's your loved ones they've all got it in their heads that you should be on a diet and that you should be suffering, essentially suffering for being fat. They want you to play the role of good fatty, but you're well within your rights to just go, no, thanks. I'd I'd rather not. And that's exactly what Cara did. The the main thing for me is, is it's taken so much time from me, so much time and energy spent being obsessed with everything I was putting in my body, everything I was doing to my body. It was just, I was, I was talking on another podcast recently actually about how I, I went through a period where I would spend up to four hours doing a supermarket shop because I was scrutinizing every single label and I've cried in supermarkets. I've spent time putting things in my trolley and taking them back out. And it's things like that. And at the time, even though it was causing me pain and I wasn't happy, I was miserable, but it's so normalized that I didn't ever think this is a real problem. People shouldn't be spending four hours trying to do their weekly shop. Or if it wasn't even a weekly shop, I'd pop in to the supermarket and be like, okay, I've got to grab some bits for dinner tonight. And I'd still end up being there four hours later, you know? And I just thought, well, it's normal. It's normal. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what everyone's doing. And you feel like everyone's doing it because everyone talks about dieting all the time. That's all they talk about. And, you know, you're 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 made to feel like when I started changing the subject and, and not engaging in diet talk, people look at like look at you like you've grown an extra head. Like it's just so to get out of it is so hard because when you're in it, it feels it just feels like that's where you're supposed to be. It doesn't matter that it's difficult or painful or miserable you're just going along with the herd and doing what you're supposed to be doing right so yeah that's 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 my biggest regret and like my biggest anger with it all is that it just sucked so much time from me and I just wasn't able to be my whole self because I was only ever as good as whatever diet I was on was gonna was gonna make me who can relate to that the time and the energy that, that 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 gets wasted completely and utterly wasted on dieting and thinking about food and thinking about exercise and thinking about body and body image and body shape and whether or not you're going to fit into your jeans next year and you know are you 
beach body ready and all that nonsense. Like how much time does it take from our lives? How much time did you waste weighing out spinach? Like just weighing spinach, or as Cara said, spending hours at the, at the grocery store, at the supermarket, literally looking at the labels of things because that's what you've been told what to do. That's what you've been told you have to do every day of your life for the rest of your life. Because even if it's possible for you to lose weight, and it is, in the short term, most of us can, but then they lie to you about the next bit, right? They say, yeah, once you've been on your diet and you've lost weight, you've just got to maintain. You've just got to maintain. That's what they say. Just maintain. Maintain, in other words, be on a diet for the rest of your life. Oh, and by the way, maintaining isn't as simple as just not overeating. Maintaining is all about keeping a really, really rigid, strict control over your intake day after day, month after month, year after year for the rest of your life. Like that's easy. Like that's a really simple thing for us to do. Why are we fatties being punished? And nobody expects thin people to do this, only fat people. There's really not much evidence that being fat is bad for your health. I mean, there's associations left, right and centre, but we all know, I've talked about this many times, the difference between association and causation and how actually it's a little bit of a, you know, it's it's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, really. You you tell a whole bunch of fat people that their blood pressure is going to go up, put a really crappy blood pressure cuff on them every time they go to the doctor. You know, they, they spend their whole life experiencing medical trauma and then lo and behold, their blood pressure's up. Oh, what a shocker. You know, that's just, it's just nonsense. It's nonsense. But going beyond that, even if you think that being fat, you know, does cause all of these diseases, there's no evidence that losing weight is going to help you with any of these diseases. I've looked everywhere for the evidence. Show me any evidence beyond five years. It's weak at best. There'll be a few studies here and there, but the overwhelming evidence, not just in the literature, but also in lived experience. Ask anybody, did losing weight somehow help prevent your diabetes? It didn't. It did nothing. It just made you anxious about diabetes for 20 years before you got it. And that's just miserable. It's a miserable way to live. And it just, it's, it's not fair. It's not right. It's not based in any truth, in any, in any science, in any anything, really. It's just a way to punish fats. That's all it is. It's a way to punish fats. And uh, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. And you know, there comes a point in time for many of us where we just feel that's it. I'm done. I'm ditching diet culture. Cara's done it. They did it a long time ago. I, I've done it far more recently. Wherever you are on your journey, you might be deeply entrenched in diet culture right now. It doesn't matter. There comes a point in time where you just don't, I just don't think I can keep doing this anymore. It's too much. And, and then, and then what? You know, then what? What do you do? I, I think, it, it's not just a case of, well, that's it. I'm not dieting anymore. I wish it were that easy. The final diet I ever did was called the paleo diet. And it very nearly sent me down several terrible rabbit holes because the whole idea of, of the diet is like the caveman diet. So unless you can hunt for it, kill it or grab it off a plant, don't eat it, don't touch it. And the way they talk about why this works, it's like our bodies are not built for all this processed food and you have to eat the things that, you know, our bodies were put on this planet to eat. And it talks about purity and purity of food. And it and it almost sent me down a whole 
because the pe- a lot of the people that were involved in that sphere um, were also anti-vaxxers as well. And so it it's that whole thing of like, don't put things in your body that are man-made. Oh, anyway, the thing, there were a couple of trigger points for me that made me think this is actually bananas. I shouldn't be doing this. So my mother-in-law made a homemade vegetable soup and it was literally just vegetables and a stock cube. And I wouldn't eat it because the stock cube was a processed stock cube. And I freaked out about it. And she was like, it's vegetable soup. There's nothing, there wasn't even any cream in it or anything that people could point to as being an unhealthy, in quotes, uh, addition to this soup. It was literally just pureed vegetables and a few spices and herbs. And this stock cube that I refused and it was one stock cube as well in the whole soup as if you think about how much of that stock cube I would have consumed in my one portion of soup would have been so minimal but I was so afraid of it and what made that experience worse was that that was when I realized okay I've tipped over from normal dieting into something quite worrying because everyone was looking at me going what sort of fucking diet means you can't eat vegetable soup that's not right. And thankfully their reactions made me do a bit of a double take and reevaluate some of my other behaviors. And I thought, oh, fuck this. This is, this is not for me. And then I went through a period of being like, oh, well, that's just, you know, typical Cara failed another diet. Can't keep it up. Can't, it can't show commitment. And so I flipped back and forth for a bit, trying to get back into it and trying to double down and go even harder on the diet. Um, and then just by chance, um, cause I was, I used Facebook a lot more back then because I, I searched a lot of, uh, paleo stuff. There was a page called go Kaleo, and it was one person's attempt at fighting back against diet culture. And I started reading their stuff and I got more and more into it. And I found myself quite enjoying this rabbit hole rather than finding it scary. Um, you know, because it was like, oh, this is all anti-diet stuff. This is a bit worrying. I found it all quite comforting. I was like, okay, let's find out more about this. And this person, they ran a, a Facebook group that I joined and it was full of people empowering each other, talking about different body shapes, sizes, different journeys on their bodies. And I just immersed myself in it and realized how conned I'd been how absolutely conned I had been. And that was it. I never, I never looked back then. I mean, I I kind of did slip back into sort of still wanting to lose weight, but I mean, in general, in terms of, you know, dieting, that was it for me. You know, I remember feeling like I'd been totally and utterly cheated. I ditched diet culture at the age of 40. (laughs) I started dieting when I was about 10. So that's 30 years of my life that I can't get back. And, you know, my youth and a lot of my formative experiences were based around, you know, the fact that I was fat and I was on a diet. So I feel very cheated by that. I feel very angry and disappointed and angry at myself and disappointed at myself, but also at the world around me. And, you know, sometimes I get up on my soapbox. I can't help myself. I'm learning. I'm a work in progress. My goodness, I make more mistakes uh, than I than I do good things. I think, and also, I'm at the beginning of a journey. 
Kara, of course, is much further along because they've been doing this a lot longer than me. But no matter where you are, I think <laughs> there are going to be moments when you doubt yourself, right? There are going to be moments where you just think it would be so much easier. It'd be so much easier if I just went back to dieting because then at least, even if I was fat, at least I was being a good fat. And being a good fat is is better than being a bad fat. Let's put it that way. It's definitely better than being a bad fat. Like it earns you more um, social currency, more respect. You're treated slightly better. You know, the doctor that sort of um, takes one look at you and just thinks, oh, look at that fat slob. And then you're like, no, but you know, I exercise five times a week. And then they're like, mm, do you? And all of a sudden it's, you know, they treat you differently. And then of course you've got all of this awful, nasty rhetoric in the background the media social media and um you know every gym that you walk past and just wherever you go you know nowadays boris johnson has just passed a law in the uk that in bigger companies as of today you've got to label all the calories in your menus and <laughs> a year ago just just a year ago the House of Commons published a report saying that is dangerous. Don't do that. It's not going to achieve anything. It's just going to make things worse. Scrap the BMI whilst you're at it. Adopt a health at every size approach. Like this was the House of Commons. This was our own parliament telling Prime Minister, don't put calories on, on menus. That's a terrible idea. And of course, it's kind of done it. So there's all this pressure, constant pressure around us. And we're just constantly being told that you can't be fat and healthy. And and so ditching diet culture is one thing, sort of <laughs> remaining separated and finally divorcing diet culture is, is something quite different. This, this was the good thing about the Facebook group because you had a lot of people sharing their own journeys and people were at completely different points in their journey as well. So you saw some people going through those thought processes and sharing and then you saw the supportive comments and... And that was good. But even within that group, you know, trolls slipped in or people that were just like, no, you're all absolutely wrong. You can't be fat and healthy. And, and uh, you know, comments like that, when I was more vulnerable back then, it did sort of creep into the psyche and be like, no, they're right. I can't be healthy like this. This is no good. I, you know, I have to go back to, um, I have to go back to dieting. And the whole, and the whole thing of being fat is a choice, this belief that being fat is a choice. And I used to push against that quite a bit and be like, it's not people, are, you know, bodies are just bodies, you know, it's not. But now actually, now I, I kind of lean into it. Now I'm like, no, I choose to be fat because I know how to lose weight. I know how to do it. I don't want to. I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up what it costs me mentally, physically. I, I, I'm not interested. The time, the energy, I've got better things to do with my life. So yeah, I choose fatness. If I if I never if someone says to me you're never you know you're never ever going to lose weight, I'm fine with that and people can't compute it. They can't wrap their heads around it. So when I first came across Kara, I basically binge watched all their videos like in one sitting. I found them even on TikTok. I think it must have been on Instagram. So I don't think it was on TikTok at the time. So I found them on Instagram, watched one of their reels, laughed so hard and thought who is this person like this is hilarious stuff and then like watched every single video they'd ever made and um I learned I learned a lot from these videos actually I, I found those videos massively empowering there was something about the humor and the insights and 
the way that Kara was responding to trolls and sort of turning it around on them that really kind of blew my mind and massively helped me to know how to deal with the trolls in my life. And and I, you know, I'm saying trolls, I mean the internet trolls, but also the people in my life that that were essentially trolling me to my face. So I'm fascinated to know how how they got there. Like how how do you go from, you know, ten years ago or so ditching diet culture to the OPCC? I started off realizing that people in general are not ready for this anti-diet conversation, or at least they weren't back nine years ago when I was sort of moving out of it. But I wanted to do my bit trying to, you know, keep that message going. Because I felt like, I've said this before, I felt like I'd really sort of been unplugged from the matrix. Like everything I knew to be true about how the world worked and how we were supposed to be and how we were supposed to fit in is just all made up fucking bollocks. (laughs) And I was like, I felt a bit preachy at times and and I made some mistakes being a bit like, you know, trying to encourage friends who'd go out to eat. I'm like, stop worrying about the calories. Everything's made up. You can just eat what you want. And I was I was a bit of a wanker, to be honest with you. I wasn't taking into account other people's feelings or where they were on their journeys. I was just like this. <laughs> I was like a born again evangelical, like, come to this side of life. It's all pretty and happy. Um, so yeah, no, I regret that. But I I sat with that for a bit and thought, you know, I, I, I've always been very open online. I've always, uh, some people will say oversharing. I don't care. I'm just open and honest. And people have always said that they found me relatable, the things I talk about relatable, and that, that was nice. So I thought, okay, you know what? I'll just, I'll keep plodding along and just putting things out there online because that way people can choose whether to consume it or not, right? And then coronavirus happened and lockdown happened and I found TikTok which a lot of people did and it was a source of entertainment when we were all stuck indoors nothing else to do just trying not to die (laughs) in the pandemic so then I thought oh you know I love performing I love being funny I love making people laugh I have this anti-diet message that I want to put out there um and so I I started off on TikTok just messing around doing all the silly sort of trends and stuff and just enjoying it. And then one night it just came to me, this whole thing, oh, you know what? Imagine there was a call center for trolls because I'd, having been on the app, the algorithm very quickly works out what it is you're interested in and what you like. So my feed was full of fat creators just living their best fucking lives. Um, And then of course you see the comments and the trolling on TikTok. TikTok's one of the worst places for it. And every single time I saw, well, what I saw a lot of were fat people fighting back but but feeling like they had to justify their own existence and I was like fuck that I wish we didn't have to fucking do that I wish we could just be and I, and I get I don't want to be like oh you know just block them because you, there's no point you block one and ten more come along you know ignoring the problem isn't going to help but then trying to justify our existence is putting the onus back on us And I was like, no, we're going to push it back on the trolls and make them think about their behavior, why they're doing it, where they've learned to do that, and just get them to think about themselves and their behavior. So yeah, the whole call center thing just came to me one night. I bashed out the script in about 10 minutes, sat there, filmed it shoddily, (laughs) chucked it online, 
went to bed and thought, I'll delete it in the morning because no, no one will watch it. And I woke up in the morning and it had blown up a bit. <laughs> and that was it. And there were people saying, oh, do more. So like, okay, okay, I can give you more. And I did. And haven't been that consistent with it. Uh, you know, other people have taken it in other countries and translated it and and then done their own versions and have carried on and, and done amazing stuff with it. I was a bit like I was having a bit of a, a confidence wobble with it. Like, oh, all of a sudden, all these people are really looking at me online. But yeah, no, it was it was it was a really good thing to do. And I was blown over by the fact that the majority of people who saw it were in support of it and not criticizing me because I think people had been wanting to say that say things like this for so long. Trolling is not just people being dickheads. I mean, it is sometimes, but there's you've got to look at the societal conditioning that has led people to think it's okay. And I think that's what I pick at in my sassy call center stuff. You know, I really enjoyed talking to people as part of this podcast, but also meeting people online getting to know members of the fat liberation community. One of the things I think that we all have in common is that when we divorced diet culture and we, and we really did have to go through the process of a divorce, most of the changes we had to make were emotional ones, psychological ones. Like actually the, you know, the eating part and, you know, finding joy in movement, that, that's a piece of piss. You can do that really easily. You have to heal all this trauma that you're carrying around with you. And there is a lot of trauma. A lot of us experienced trauma when we were growing up, whether it was rejection by our parents or whether it was our teachers, our classmates, our siblings, our friends. There was probably some form of rejection, whether you were a fat kid or not. Uh, Cara wasn't a fat kid. I wasn't a particularly fat kid, but I felt like a fat kid and I was definitely a fatter kid. And I, I, I was massively bullied by a fat phobic mother and and you know a narcissistic father so i've had all that trauma that i need to deal with and then of course a lot of medical trauma and we we cannot discount how serious that is and how life-changing life-altering medical trauma is so this you know all of us have this in common right most of us have experienced some kind of bullying around our weight in our formative years and in our, in our early years especially if we were very young and especially if it was someone that was very close to us and then there's all the medical trauma that we've almost all got in common you got to deal with all that stuff like everything else that's happened to you since then put it to one side all that stuff is 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 common ground for all of us and you know one of the things people always used to criticize or talk about emotional eating oh you're emotionally eating and i've thought about this a lot and I'm like, yeah, like, of course I'm emotionally eating. I have a lot of emotional problems. And a lot of my emotional problems stem from people criticising me for emotionally eating. I started eating emotionally or, you know, trying to, 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 to cheer myself up, to comfort myself, to soothe myself, uh, to bolster myself, to give me confidence, to give me energy, all sorts of things. I started doing that at a very young age. Because I was really freaking miserable. I didn't have a great time growing up. And it's not like a, oh, you know, get out your violins, your tiny little violin and feel sorry for me time. No, not at all. A lot of us have experienced trauma. I'm not in any unique position. This is a very common story, but it's still my pain. It's still my story. It's not like I had a perfect life and I just chose to eat emotionally or eat to comfort myself or eat to soothe myself. I, what other choice did I have? And I'm grateful that I didn't become addicted to drugs or alcohol, that I didn't, you know, 
harm myself too much. I did self-harm when I was younger, but that ended thankfully quite soon. I'm grateful that my suicide attempts didn't work. Gosh, I was really young when I attempted suicide the first time. I'm glad that I wasn't smart enough how to, to know how to do it properly because then I wouldn't be here. All this wonderful stuff that's happened to me in my life, I wouldn't have experienced any of it because of my weight. And so the point I'm trying to make here is that emotional eating and dealing with emotions is a fundamental part of divorcing diet culture. And, you know, Cara alluded to it. And what we've seen now is like, you know, it's almost that kind of whole caterpillar and, 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 and then, you know, coming out of the, of, of the cocoon. Cocoon? Is it cocoon or chrysalis? Gosh, I should know. I have read Very Hungry Caterpillar about a million times with my children. But anyway, turns into a butterfly. The butterfly is, is lovely and it's lovely to watch the butterfly, but like that whole process is not easy. It doesn't just happen overnight. And so, yeah, I just wanted to take a moment just to get on my soapbox and talk about how emotional eating is actually, you know, has really helped me, has probably saved my life on more than one occasion. And I'm grateful that I chose food as opposed to alcohol and drugs because I needed something to medicate with. I was in a lot of pain. I was trying to end my life. And so, yeah, I food is definitely the lesser of all evils. And that's not to criticise people who do use drugs or who do use alcohol, who gamble or any of the other things. Like That's not meant as a criticism. We all have different lives and go down different paths and have different experiences. So it's not a criticism. But also, I will not allow anyone to criticise me for emotionally eating anymore. Screw that. No, you don't get to do that. So the thing for me that, that when I look back, helped the most was realising how these ideas of anti-fatness are planted in us, you know? No one's born hating fat people. It's all things that we are taught. And along with a lot of other things, you know, that applies to racism and, and other forms of discrimination. Um, and I think I think our society is built on a lot of fear around fitting in sort of social hierarchy and people get to know very quickly where they place in comparison with other people. And we get scared to lose those privileges, right, depending on where we sit. So things like getting fat means you're going to get treated by society in a worse way. But then the thing for me that was like a light bulb moment was who is making it unsafe for fat people we are we're all perpetuating it and people it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy like my mum would be like well you don't want to be fat because fat people get bullied and then in the next breath there'd be a fat person on tv and be like oh my god I don't want to see that on tv and it's like you're the one doing it if you didn't do that it wouldn't be unsafe if all of us tapped out of that we'd all be much better off and yeah, so the thing for me is like, look look at who is making it unsafe. The people who are saying, oh, don't do that, are the ones fueling it. And yeah, just realizing it, everything's just made up. Like it's just, it's all to keep us in line and, and conforming. And, and I also, I, you know, I, I grew up with, with a very bigoted parent. Um, and, I learned to repeat a lot of those things myself. So I've seen it from both sides. I've been the fat phobic person and I've been on the receiving end of fat phobia. And when I look back at my past behaviors, 
you know, I'm very, very ashamed and upset with myself. But also, I knew it wasn't me. I was just parroting stuff. They weren't my words. They weren't my formed thoughts. It was just repeating what I'd heard. And that's when, for me, it was like, well, I can stop the cycle. I don't have to keep telling those things to myself either, you know, because I was harming other people, but I was also harming myself. I don't have to feel that way. I can stop and reevaluate and look at myself and think, how do I really feel about my body? If I try and take away um, everything that I've learned so far and just start again from scratch, what do I really think and feel about myself? Um, And exercises like that were really, really helpful. And then also, yeah, delving into the sort of delving more into feminism and looking at systemic issues and realizing how we're all failed by all of these systems. And fat phobia is just one weapon that's used to keep people in line, right? Just to keep people. The more, the more our brains are taken up with how, how much we can conform, the less time and energy we've got to be our best selves and not be slaves to capitalism getting a bit (laughs) getting a bit um what's the word a bit preachy and political here but um things like that when you get to the root of things like that it really unravels everything and I'm still unraveling stuff you know it's like I've started to pick at a ball of yarn and it's still you know I'm still pulling out threads there comes a point where healing your emotions like it's so important it's the it's the most important part and it's the starting point i think for most of us and then dealing with the trauma which you know is actually quite challenging for many and oftentimes requires a lot of support and input from you know hopefully weight inclusive practitioners that can actually help you with this and then you get to the stage where you're like okay you know i'm ready like let's let's move on and let's get involved in fat liberation you know, people have often accused me of being a fanatic, you know, um, a fundamentalist or whatever they want to call me, uh, you know, that I, I, that I'm just deluded and I won't listen and I'm not, I'm not a moderate. I'm not a moderate. Damn right. I'm not a moderate. I have no time for moderates. You're in or you're out. You, you hate diet culture or you don't hate diet culture. You think it's right. You think it's wrong. Like don't be in the middle half assing it because I've got no time for you. But anyway, the fundamentalism, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I can call me a fundamentalist. It doesn't bother me anymore. And <laughs> that's because I got beyond the self-healing process and I moved in to fat liberation. And Cara has a very similar journey. I've had, uh, I've had thoughts on, on this for a long while. There's, there's, I mean, I, and I, I went through this where, as you said just there, you know, you've got to, you've got to heal these issues within yourself first right but I one of my biggest worries especially with where I sit in in the fat community is I feel like people stagnate a lot so people will heal their own issues with their body be like okay I love my body I'm happy being fat and then stop there and not look at how we can all help each other to dismantle harmful systemic issues and systems that fuck us all over it's like it's not good enough to just be cool with yourself and then stop there um and I think unfortunately there's some brilliant brilliant spaces online for people to start their body acceptance journey um 
but my feeling is don't get stuck there. Always, always be looking to see the bigger picture. And I, I also feel like because there's so many intersecting issues, I feel like we've all got to look at, because I mean, I'm in a fat body, but I have a ton of privilege, obviously. I'm white. I'm cishet passing as well because I, you know, fell in love with a boy <laughs> um, and, and I'm able-bodied and also I've got all sorts of privileges. And I think that's another thing that happens as well. People find one area where they are marginalized and then they cling to that. Like that's, that's the whole identity now. I'm marginalized, therefore I cannot possibly be called upon as somebody who could be causing harm to anyone else. Now that no, that doesn't sit right with me either. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to look at look at yourself critically, and I think people are very scared of that. They're very, very scared because if you people are scared of admitting they fucked up, and scared of admitting that certain systems have benefited them and harm that's been caused to others have benefited them. And I think we've all got to get a lot better at admitting when we fucked up and doing it quickly and using that as an opportunity to help other people learn as well. Don't hide away. Don't run away when when you've messed up. Own it. Um, and I know it's easier said than done. And especially with, you know, with online culture, it, it can feel quite intimidating. But I, I just you're not helping anyone least of all yourself if you fuck up and then and then try and pretend it hasn't happened before i fully understood the implications of what i was saying i started to tell people that i believed that health was a privilege and not an achievement and i remember very clearly that i said this when i want when i went on daytime tv and that was over a year ago now first time i was on tv First and last, thankfully. Um, anyway, uh, this idea that health is a privilege and not an achievement was scoffed at by an absolute dickhead. But a lot of people really struggle with this idea that, that health, whatever health is, we still have come up with a definition, but you know what I mean. Whatever your definition of health is, is actually something that you're born into, as opposed to something that you're able to achieve through your actions. I think something that, that I find... I found really interesting. So I grew up um, on a council estate with not very much money, but my mum had high aspirations for me, hence why my voice doesn't really sound like somebody who grew up on a council estate with not very much money. I got sent to have elocution lessons because my mum wanted me to sound like I came from a, a more privileged background than I did in order to open doors for me as I grew up. So... I also spent time, uh, I, I went to a, a grammar school, uh, and so I spent time around a lot of very wealthy, privileged people. And it was really interesting looking at the differences in how we approach things, right? And then when I got into the working world, I ended up working for a lot of wealthy, privileged people as well. And it's just, it's really interesting the way people take things for 
granted, but also they take them for granted when they have them, but also they very much have this view of if you just work hard enough, you can get it too. So I remember being at school and not having the money to go on the ski trip and also not wanting to because I'd never been skiing in my life. And there were kids there who were like, how have you never been skiing? And they just, they just didn't get it, right? Um, and then I explained, well, we never, you know, we just never went, we never went on holiday full stop, let alone an expensive skiing holiday. And it was the same when I, when I entered the world of work. It's like, how, how have you never skied? But then when you're an adult, then it's like, well, but you know, you could be someone who skied. You could, you could work your way up. You could earn more. You could have this. So it's like, they're aware. I'll try and not get too <laughs> bogged down in this, but it's like, they're aware that that what they have is a privilege, but they even still believe themselves. Even if the only reason they go skiing is because their parents gave them money to go skiing, they still believe it's something that anyone can achieve. And us little people down here also buy into that as well. And it's just, it's this glorification of the lavish lifestyles. And because we're worked so hard, most of us, that feels like something we want to aspire to. We want to be the person on the yacht delegating to everybody else, having our food cooked for us and our champagne brought to us. We're so desperate for that because of how overworked we are. And so we're kind of, we get caught in this loop of, well, let's just work harder. And I mean, it's just, oh, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to get to my point here. Apologies. But I, it's just, it's like you're on a, you're on a, a hamster wheel, and it's you can see that what you want is not even on the hamster wheel, but you can't get out of that mindset. It's like you know what I need to just get off. There's no point. And I, again, it's it's all to do with like the messages we've received, and and you know being in school, you're constantly told you know if you don't get good grades, you won't get a good job, and if you don't get a good job, you won't earn enough money, and if you don't earn enough money, you won't have this, that, and the other. Meanwhile people who are working their asses off are struggling to afford shelter and food and pay for their heating. And, you know, it, it blows my mind that people can't see that the game is rigged. And that's no, no fault of theirs. I'm not saying like, you know, wake up guys. It's not like that. It's just like, it, it, we've had such a clever, a clever con put on us, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm trying. This is something that I feel so passionate about. When it comes to it, I'm like, oh, I can't get my words out, and I get lost in stories about skiing. But I'm, yeah. I sincerely hope you had as much fun listening to that as I did recording it. I, yeah, I feel so good at the end of each of these episodes. I feel like stuff got said, stuff got done. And um, I'm so grateful to Cara. I'm assuming that anyone listening to this podcast is already following Cara, but just in case you're not. So I'm I'm most active on Instagram. My handle is at Cara underscore Mac, M-A-C, Mac B. I'm uh, often on there just sharing how I go about my day-to-day life, uh, navigating the world as a fat queer woman or fat queer person because I no longer identify as a woman um, and I keep misgendering myself, which is really fucking annoying. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that happens to the best of us. Yeah, I uh, I also am 
branching out into stand-up comedy. So um, I'm very grateful to all of my followers who have been supporting me and cheering me on. Um, so yeah, just, I guess, look out for me on Instagram and um, come along and enjoy enjoy the chaotic chit chat that goes on there. Um, but yeah, I'm really open. I'm an open book. Instagram's a bit like my diary. And I, you know, if I have a, a, a bad mental health day, a bad body image day, I'll share about it. I'll share about, you know, the ways in which I try and navigate all of that. Um, I will rant about issues that irritate me. <laughs> it's mostly cis men. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm not really a, people are like, oh, what are you? What do you do? I'm just, I'm just a person just living very openly and sharing on Instagram. So our penultimate episode, can you believe that penultimate episode is next week? I'm going to be talking to Nicola Haggett. We're going to be talking about the BMI and um, how some people still genuinely believe that it is a perfectly useful and acceptable measure of health. And some would even go so far to say that those of us who choose not to use it are not fit for purpose. So we'll be talking to Nicola about that. Can't wait. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating conversation. And it's going to be a lot more than just the basic science behind BMI. And I'm hoping most of you are familiar with all of that. And if you're not, check out www.noway.org. Um, there's a big section in there about BMI. So we'll be talking much more about how BMI has become basically a tool of oppression and why we need to fight to scrap it. I hope you'll join me then. Folks, I don't know if you've heard, but I have recently launched a campaign called Hashtag No Way. You can head on over to the website www.noway.org, find out all about the things I've been getting up to over the last few months. I've created a free resource for individuals who are experiencing weight stigma within the medical profession and for health professionals who are keen to learn about weight-inclusive care. There is loads and loads of information available on the website, loads of lived experiences, loads of resources, and also opportunities for you to join the movement, to join the hashtag No Way campaign, and to help end medical weight stigma. Don't forget, I have a Patreon account for those who are interested in supporting the podcast. Also, lots of extra goodies that you get, including face-to-face -face chats with yours truly. I have my website, www.fatdoctor.co.uk, and I have my monthly webinars called The Waiting Room, in which I do a deep dive into the research for a particular condition and information about weight-inclusive care. If you're interested in supporting me financially, you can do so through my Patreon or through my website. And don't forget that a new episode for Series 2 will be available every Wednesday, wherever you listen to your podcast. Join me next week.